Hello, is this thing on? with another Energy 101 episode. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Sydney. We have Julie and Misty. And our guest of honor is Kai Yoakum from Fluid Energy. And today, we're talking chemicals. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. This is also Kai's first podcast ever. So round of applause. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Round of applause for me. Thank I'm, you for I'm choosing yeah. Energy 101. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. We're honored. When you yeah. become podcast famous, you'll say... Started. This is, it. This is uh, history in the making for sure. It is. Yep. So chemicals, obviously super important to all of energy, specifically oil and gas. Mm. I know prior to recording, we talked about focusing really on drilling and fracking those specific chemicals. Mm. I don't know about you guys, but I don't even remember. I'm sure I took a chemistry class in high school, but <laughs> periodic I, table anyway. Yeah. Right. yeah. No. <laughs> Chemicals are uh, definitely not my thing. Mm -mm. Yeah. Are you a chemical engineer by trade? I am a Ooh. chemist by background. Okay. Oh, so, okay. yeah, I started out at a small college in Chickasha, Oklahoma, University mm. of Science and Arts of Oklahoma. I always tell people that I graduated top of my class because I was the only chemist that graduated <laughs> <laughs> during that semester. So I was also the bottom of my class. But um, I had I kind of cut my teeth into the oil field about in 2011. Whenever I was getting my chemistry degree, there was a oil field company, Fractech Services, mm -hmm. that had a chemical manufacturing plant there, and whenever I was trying to find chemistry jobs in a town of, you know, 16,000 people, that was pretty much the only yeah. job. <laughs> Especially available. in Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 So small town, Chickasha, Oklahoma. And I was fortunate enough to get a lab technician job uh, doing quality assurance, quality control for the chemicals that they're using. Yeah. And at the time it was funny because whenever you're in a, college class and you're talking about chemicals you're talking about the formal iupac naming convention of like how you know like uh, a chemical is named and mm -hmm. then whenever you get into the industry there are trade names that people come up with and so like that was kind of my first yeah. uh, mm -hmm. exposure into you know like okay surf surf pro 2000 you know, and I was like, this isn't a chemical. Like, what is this? You know, and so I kind of started to realize that people take different chemistries, mm -hmm. put them together for whatever application it is right. that they need to accomplish, and then they call it whatever they want. Right. And then it's yeah. so, kind of yeah. like how we say we're going to Google it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Google is just searching. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, essentially, I would think that that's the same as kind of like branded. Yeah. Yeah. So you brand it, you put a trademark on it. And then um, after working there in a QAQC lab for a couple of years, they decided to shut down that lab mm -hmm. and a new opportunity for a technical center in Houston opened up. Great. And so I got the opportunity to move into Houston, just a couple miles away from here is where I was working. And after being here for about five years, bouncing between uh, there I went to another chemical company called IOC. Mm -hmm. I ended up moving back to be closer to family yeah. in Oklahoma, and that's where I'm at now. Great. Well, we're happy Very you cool. made the trip down. I don't mm -hmm. think I realized that you uh, came from Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 Very excited to be here. And, um, you know, I, I don't miss the traffic at all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was going to say, it must be like, well, I, come, I came from Midland, so it's a little bit of the same. Yeah. Not that small, but... Um, like just a culture shock coming to Houston from that small of town. I'm sure yeah. it was uh, <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was different. But um, starting out um, early in my career in Houston was very valuable just because mm -hmm. Houston's the mecca yeah, of right. oil and gas. And yeah. I made a lot of really good connections early on that helped me increase my you know chemical knowledge base. And I think it's fun to kind of start out by saying that, you know, I started out learning chemistry and chemicals and kind of what that was. And I had no idea what 
hydraulic fracturing was. Right. And it took me like actually years to really figure out what is fracking, you know, and like what is, what are these chemicals being used for? And so throughout my career, just starting from the chemical side and then asking, okay, why mm -hmm. are we doing this? What is this used for? That's how I've kind of learned the production drilling frack right. process. Right. Yeah. Comes with the territory. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's kind of how we are. I yeah. feel like every day here, podcast aside, I feel like you never know who's going to be in and out and what conversations are happening. And I'm always like, I feel like I'm just constantly like picking up Learning. little tidbits. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. That I hear, whether they're <laughs> accurate or not. <laughs> yeah. So when you went to school, I'm just going to go on your background a little bit. When you went to school as a chemist, did you know you were going to be in oil and gas? Or like, what was your, what were you thinking as you were like, you were just interested in chemistry? No, actually, I am a uh, failed doctor is what huh. it is. Yeah, okay. so I, <laughs> I started out uh, kind of thinking that I wanted to do the uh, biochemical route so that way gotcha. I can go become a doctor right. and then realize that I hate biology classes <laughs> and um, I didn't like memorizing different body parts and things. Yeah. And yeah. I just wanted where my, where my passion was. Right. I had family that was kind of pushing me to do that and then after doing that for about a year and a half, I had a lot of math and science courses com completed already. Mm -hmm. And it would have basically getting my chemistry degree was the fastest route to getting a degree. <laughs> to getting out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I finished up those classes. And um, like I said, whenever I got into the oil and gas business, it was because it was like literally the only job in town. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to fight and, uh, you know, beg and plead in order to get a job there. And then once I did, I was super happy because it, it led me to here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you wear a lab coat? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Lab safety is important. Yeah. I wasn't expecting you to say yes. Yeah. Well, when you're working in a lab, of course, I mean, you've got to wear the, yeah. the goggles, the gloves, the lab coat, because at the end of the day, when you're working in a chemical manufacturing plant, even if you're just in the lab side of it, yeah. uh, you're doing a little bit of R&D, you're handling, you know, volatile chemicals that mm -hmm. could uh, stay with you, like on your hands and stuff that you don't want to take home to your kids and things like right. that. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely safety first safety because first. you want to come home yeah. with all your fingers and toes. Yeah. It's like, that's <laughs> the one thing I do remember from like high school, like biology and chemistry is always like, the, the safety mm -hmm. things, yeah, yeah. The and that like huge uh, shower thing. Did y'all oh, have in that? case you and know, the yeah. eye wash station. Mm -hmm. yeah. I washed eye wash stations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, showers just in case. You know, you never know. Mm -hmm. So, does your day to day? Are you in the lab um, working in there, or do you ever go? Like, what does your day to day look like? Sure. So, early in my career, like I said, I'm a chemist. I started out working in the lab, mm -hmm. doing a lot of tech services requests to where. A customer would come in and say, we need a chemical solution for this problem. And then my job would be to work with the other chemists in the lab to try and come up with a chemical solution that would solve whatever problem it is that they're trying to achieve. And then after doing that for a while, I started to progress up as a chemist. But then I found that I wanted to be more customer facing mm. and started as a uh, the company that I was at, they actually created a role for me as like a technical sales guy. Cool. So I would interface between the lab and the sales team. And so that is where I learned how to communicate with the end user. Um, you yeah. know, because like in a laboratory setting, it's like you're sitting in a room like this. It's got all the instruments that you need. And then you just hear information from other people that's saying, hey, I need you to do this. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you don't know why you right. need to do it. And uh, you just run the test, put it into a report, give it to the people, and uh, they go from there. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to know why are they needing this? How does it help achieve, you know, whatever problem it mm -hmm. is that they're trying to solve? And then whenever I got that experience of being more customer facing, I really enjoyed that more mm -hmm. than just kind of being in a lab. Yeah. And so that helps me transition more into kind of the role that I'm in today which is the uh, sales manager for fluid energy. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I could imagine it's helpful that you like n genuinely knew what you were talking about. It's not like mm -hmm. you got hired as a salesperson, they trained you in some of the chemicals, like you actually started in chemistry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it hopefully you're able to talk yeah. to both sides mm -hmm. better, yeah. put mm -hmm. dots mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely helped 
helps me. I'm, I'm super thankful and very blessed uh, to have the experience and the people mm -hmm. that kind of helped mentor me right. early on in my days. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. Mm -hmm. Where do we want to start? Drilling? So, yeah. So I thought that it would be fun to kind of talk about why chemicals are used and the different upstream processes that are involved cool. in mm -hmm. oil and gas. So obviously you've got, you start out with drilling a hole and then you have to uh, frack, stimulate. And then after that, once everything's done, then you produce everything. Mm -hmm. And the types of chemicals that are used in those different applications are specific to perform a job that's needed at the time. And I think that after that, it would be good to kind of discuss, um, you know, how not all chemicals are bad, yeah. right? Like that's, that's a uh, yeah. perception that a lot of people have, I think, mm -hmm. that just once they hear chemicals, it's nasty and, you know, you got to worry. And you do, you got to be safe, but uh, it's not like we're all trying to give each other cancer out on right. frack right. locations, right? right. So, yeah. um, on the drilling side, very basic, what, what are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. You're trying to drill a hole in the ground so that way you can put metal pipe in there and make it easier to extract oil and gas mm -hmm. out of the earth. If you think about whenever you're drilling, not drilling, or just digging a hole in your backyard, mm -hmm. you know, with a shovel, right? You, you take a shovel, you dig the hole, and then you're left with a hole, and then you're left with a pile of dirt right. after mm -hmm. that. And so you can imagine that whenever you're drilling a hole in the ground that's miles deep and miles long, you're going to have a lot of extra dirt <laughs> available. Yeah. And so like, <clears throat> even if it's, and it's really deep down there, how do you get that dirt from, you know, miles down mm -hmm. in the ground up to the surface? I and never actually thought of that until I'm like <laughs> picturing it now and I'm like, it makes sense because it's. That is a lot of dirt. Where does it go? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's a great, great transition into kind of why chemicals are used and what they're used yeah. for. And so um, the most common fluid used during drilling is going to be a drilling mud. And mm -hmm. um, it's called that because it's a concoction of different additives that are designed to help extract those, the dirt, mm -hmm. you know, out of the ground. But then also, if you think about whenever you're drilling a long, really straight, you know, cylindrical hole in the ground, if you don't have enough pressure or viscosity inside that hole that you just drilled, then it's just going to collapse in on itself because mm -hmm. you've got the pressure mm -hmm. of the earth the, trying to yeah. cave in on itself. Mm -hmm. And so as you're drilling, there's a couple things to think about. You got to think about, okay, how do I keep the hole open so that mm -hmm. way I can continue drilling? How do I keep the drill bit cool? So that way it doesn't overheat itself and start to damage itself and I can continue drilling. And the way they do that is with these muds. And so mm -hmm. you've got different types of muds depending on where you're drilling and um, the speeds and rates that you're going at. And so there's like a water-based mud and there's an oil-based mud. And you can use uh, those types of muds are dependent on the formation, I guess. So whenever you're drilling, into the earth, it's got layers to it, right? right? And there's different types of mineralogies at different layers. And if you're using like a water-based mud, water can come into contact with uh, water-sensitive clay material in the formation. And that can cause the earth to, you know, expand and make it more difficult for the drill bit to move through there. Mm -hmm. So you can add uh, like shale stabilizers which basically are chemicals that are designed to block water from entering into clay structure okay. that can be sensitive to water. Mm -hmm. So you've got clay stabilizers. Um, and then we talked about weighting agents and uh, viscosifiers. So again, in order to keep the fluid from compressing in on itself, you have um, bayrite, which is a barium sulfate. And that is a very dense and hard solid scale material, okay. which adds weight to the fluid. So that way it mm -hmm. keeps the pressure of the formation from kind of collapsing in on itself. And um, yeah, so I mean, those are kind of the 
basics mm -hmm. of what you're trying to accomplish. So as that dirt comes up to the surface, they have to remove the dirt right. um, from the liquid drilling mud. And they do that by putting it onto a shaker mm -hmm. and then they reuse that drilling mud over and over again. Mm -hmm. So that way they oh, don't, nice. uh, mm -hmm. because if you're using like an oil-based mud, for example, it can be really expensive to keep replenishing sure, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some other additives that go into it is as you're drilling, you don't want the mud to go into the formation because then that's more that you have to like add yeah. up on the surface. And so you have um, fluid loss, like control additives that go into it to prevent the fluid from going where you don't want it to go. Right. And then you've got um, lost circulation material, which again helps keep that material all within the mud. Uh, because if you're using this fluid to extract the solid material mm -hmm. out, if you lose that <clears throat> material, then it's just more costly to the chemical operators on surface to have to try and replace it. I was just going to ask, I know you said chemical operators. So I'm assuming this seems like a very big like puzzle piece mm -hmm. that can like ebb and flow and change depending on like how far down you go and where you're at in the process. So I assume there's a chemical guy or woman that's on site just making sure yeah, everyone's so using the right chemicals at the right time. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and to add on to that, what is like the mechanism to get it down in the hole? Like, you, I, <laughs> Yeah, so the way it works is uh, the, the drill bit is like hollow on the inside. And so whenever you're pumping fluid through like the inner huh. part of the drill bit and then it kind of like comes out, and then mm, up around the annulus like that. That's not what I was expecting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fluid kind of comes through and then you drill it. Uh, as it's drilling it, the fluid comes out and helps cool down the bit so that way it doesn't get damaged mm -hmm. and then circulates up and around. Um, and then on the surface, you definitely have guys that are mud engineers to mm. where they're- A mud engineer. Yeah. <laughs> are they called like mud loggers too? Mud loggers, mud yeah. Loggers? Are yeah. those the guys in the trucks mm -hmm. that, they are they in a truck that like, do you, is there a truck pumping all the mud into the hole? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, there's a large tank to where you can like see the mud coming, um, out from the ground, you know, and you can, there's like these little catacombs you can watch over or like step over it and kind of see what it looks like. And, uh, their job, the mud loggers is to collect the dirt, which is also called cuttings because mm. it looks like small little pieces of mm. like gravel. Um, so they'll, they'll collect the cuttings at different depths and then they will take those cuttings and run them on an instrument that's run them on an instrument that's called a x-ray diffractometer. And what that does is it tells you the mineralogical composition of the cuttings and gives you an idea of, okay, this area is a little bit more difficult to mm -hmm. drill in because it's got more swelling clay in it or something like gotcha. that. Mm -hmm. And then once they get to the, the pay zone which is where the oil and gas is in the horizontal section. Mm -hmm. What you're looking for there is kind of like consistency in the mineralogy, right? Because the oil and gas, it's in layers and it, you know, is miles around everywhere. And if you're drilling, ideally, if you're drilling a straight horizontal mm -hmm. line, the mineralogy should be pretty much the same, right? Of course, there's going to be ebbs and flows and the mineralogy is going yeah. to change. Um, you know, different depths and things like that. But once you identify the target pay zone, if you can stay there, all the mineralogy should be pretty much the same. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. What's next in the process? Yeah. <laughs> so the it's that the was hole, just yeah, that was yeah. Just, the holes drilled. Yeah. So that we're after ready the, to extract. Frack. Not yet. No, we frack. Oh. We don't frack yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> oh my god. Because, what comes next? <laughs> yeah. So now after you do the drilling part. You have to remove the drill bits oh, from important. Yeah, you have to remove that <laughs> without again causing the hole to collapse in on itself. And then you have to insert steel pipe in there. Right. And so again, this process like drilling can take two, three weeks, right? So yeah. you've got that process, and then the drill rig has to take rig down, go to the next location. That mm. can take another couple of weeks. Um, so then after drilling, you have cementing chemicals that come in. And so whenever you're putting in the um, uh, 
pipe downhole, you have to add cement in order to put it in, like basically keep it in the middle of the hole. Right. Uh, but then also like firmly attached to the formation. So that way it doesn't move or um, and is stable during the hydraulic fracturing like, How, process. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. How big are the holes? Like is it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like I don't. I can't decide if I'm picturing something small or if I'm picturing something like humongous. Yeah. So I think. Um, I don't know. It's a good question, you know. But like I think the whenever I think about um, the hole size. I'm not exactly sure how big the drill bits are that are used. I was going to say, does it vary based on the drill bit, I guess? It, it Yeah. And it also varies, I think, depending on the company, um, mm. what they're, tr everybody's got different ideas yeah. on like what pr makes the best well, right. mm -hmm. how many, you know, what size casing. They're like secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, a, a good frame of reference is, after the drilling part is done, they leave like a five and a half inch casing okay. inside there, which is like the most common, I mm. think. So I would think that the drilling bit size yeah. has to be a little bit bigger than that. You mm -hmm. know, so we're not talking like, you know, like feet. a big gaping yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. yeah. So after cement, uh, after, uh, again, there's a lot of chemistry that goes into cementing. Um, they have, you know, accelerators, which are designed to help, um, make the cement hard, like faster. Mm -hmm. And then they have, uh, retardants, which is designed to make the cement, you know, set later, depending on temperature pressures mm -hmm. and, uh, needs of the job. And you've got, um, again, waiting agents to try and help make sure that the cement is, at the right weights and density. Um, so then once you have everything kind of cemented in the hole. Is the cement filling up the entire hole? Like there's not casing in here yet or anything. It's So the cement actually goes through the casing. So, okay. yeah. So like, again, similar to the drilling piece, whenever fluid is going like through the drill bit and then kind of coming out. Outside. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So the cement is going down and out. To yeah. make that cement wall outside of the casing. Correct. Oops. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, um, and then up on closer to the surface, like where water tables are, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's a big concern, I guess, that yeah. people have about. Uh, oh, they think their water is contaminated. They think their water is yeah. getting contaminated, right? And so there's a lot of steps that go in during that process to where, like, in the areas to where like water tables are, you know, in the first couple, you mm -hmm. know, thousand feet or so. There's extra layers of cement that goes there, and there's extra layers of uh, pipe that goes there mm -hmm. in order to further protect it. So it's got like a couple fail safes there to help prevent any fluid from leaking mm -hmm. in that area. I feel like we need to like replay that in the episode 800 times. Right. That anyone <laughs> listening knows that we're not trying to poison everyone's water. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, chemicals just, they get a bad rap because yeah. they they can be dangerous. But right. again, we're not out here trying to hurt people um, with chemistry. We're trying to solve problems. Mm -hmm. For sure. And one thing mm -hmm. that Colin taught us when we first, I think it was probably maybe even like a year ago, we sat in front of a whiteboard and this is how the podcast was kind of born. He gave us this like very broad energy 101. Mm. And he mentioned something about, you know, if you think about it, especially from that standpoint of leaking out of the pipes and the water and stuff it's there's so much money that goes into all of these productions and drilling that mm. these companies can't afford to lose it so they're taking every precaution to make sure that it's like safe there are no leaks that mm -hmm. there are no gaps in that safety i would assume mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure because uh they're incentivized to keep it yeah to keep it <laughs> keep it inside the hole mm -hmm. yeah because yes. they don't want to yeah lose mm -hmm. their money mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah there's a bunch of additives that go into the uh cementing process <laughs> and all that kind of happens um obviously before frac kind of comes along so then once you have the uh pipe set and drilling has moved off the location and you're ready to start actually stimulating the well, uh, there's a bunch of chemicals that go mm -hmm. into that process as well. So I like to think about, again, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish 
why are they doing it and how are they doing it and so what are you trying to accomplish is you're trying to get as much oil and gas out of the ground as possible um how do they do that they do that by injecting a bunch of water and sand into Mm -hmm. the formation and the idea is that sand is a bunch of spherical particles that's even whenever you compress them together, there's still space in right. between them to where fluid can flow through mm-hmm. and then go through those into the um, casing and then produce up to surface. And so on the frac side, now we're talking about chemicals in much larger quantities. Um, on the drilling side, you're talking about a uh, couple hundred barrels mm-hmm. of uh drilling mud that's used in order to do that and then on the frac side we're talking a couple million gallons of fluid Uh that you would need in order to (laughs) treat the well and 98 percent of the chemicals that are used in stimulating a well is just water and sand and those are the two that make up 98 percent. the other two percent are going to be other additives that are designed to help achieve the goal of extracting more oil and gas. And so again, if you think about very basic, what are we doing here? You've got a hole here that has cement and it's got metal pipe and you're trying to move sand from the surface into a horizontal section that's miles away. If you have a water bottle like this and you just put sand into it, it's just gonna fall straight to the bottom Mm -hmm. And that's not good for whenever you're trying to put it into a formation miles and miles away. Mm -hmm. And so what do they do? They add like thickening agents or viscosifiers to help keep that propent or the sands suspended in solution. So that way it doesn't cause a major blockage and settle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if that happens, that's called a screen out. And that is really, really bad to occur that on a frac location because that means that you have to shut down everything oh, shit. Mm-hmm. and figure out how to remove that sand so that way you can continue pumping fluid. So someone's mm-hmm. getting in trouble. Right. Someone's that- getting <laughs> in trouble. Yeah. How do you know if you have that blockage? Uh, that so you've got a bunch of engineers and uh, like company man that is – the company man is – on location and in charge of everything that's kind of going out there. Mm-hmm. And inside the data van, they're watching uh, pressure charts to look at, okay, what's the treating pressure look like? And you can imagine if you have a hole that is blocked, if you try and pump through it, you're going to see pressure spike like crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, so you can see a large pressure increase whenever you see a blockage like that. Um, you can kind of start to see it occur even before it actually starts occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's where the experience of a good company man who's seen a lot yeah. of those charts, you know, comes into play and uh, they can try and prevent that from happening by either decreasing the sand amount that they're, they need at the time or increasing the amount of viscosifier that they're using or something like that. Mm-hmm. Who right. makes that call, the company man or do the like mud engineers know like, okay, yeah, we're hitting this pressure. The company man's like, hey, something's going on. Does the mud engineer figure it out? Or like you said, the company man? It would be the company man, yeah. Okay. Because like if you if you think about, so this is, again, like I'm still learning and uh, everything new in, in the industry. Um, what I didn't realize until a couple of years ago is that the company man actually works like is a consultant basically for the operator. Mm-hmm. Um, so the operator could be, you know, Conoco, Chevron, or somebody like that. And they hire a representative that is there on location to make sure that the job designs that, you know, Conoco or Chevron like uh, want executed are executed. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. everybody else out on location is with a different service company that provides some other type Mm -hmm. of service. Um, And so, really, at the end of the day, the company man is the one who is responsible for. All the calls. All the operations. All yeah. operations. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know when Colin used to work on the rig, if anything would ever happen where the pressure spiked, he's like, it's going to be a long night mm-hmm. of fishing yeah. out whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's so much nuance that goes into it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So after, um, so again, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to just get sand into a water in a water medium to go into these fractures that you mm -hmm. want to create, you know, miles down in the hole. So if you just use water and sand though, there's going to be a lot of problems that occur if you don't add some other additives to it. And so uh, some uh, like one of the most important ones that needs to be added to it is called uh, biocide. Mm -hmm. And uh, biocide is used in all different kinds of industries. It's used in, you know, laundry, um, detergents, households, uh, industrial applications to get rid of harmful bacteria and microorganisms. That, mm. um, and the reason you need to get rid of those in a oil field setting is because those microbes and bacteria can cause corrosion. Mm. And so uh, corrosion is really bad, obviously, for steel pipe because yeah. – it creates holes in places where you don't want holes to be and can cause fluid leak off and casing uh, degradation and things like that. Mm. Um, so biocide, that is one that I would say out of like all the chemicals that are used on a frack location, that one is the most dangerous oh. because it stands for uh, like life kill you know like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of my questions yeah. was Bio gonna be side. which of these chemicals can kill you yeah yeah so i mean its job is literally to kill bacteria yeah. and um but so is something like amoxicillin right, right. Uh, which is a antibiotic which mm -hmm. is designed to kill those things and if you use it in the right quantities and the right dosages it's not going to kill you right, yeah, right. um so you could say that uh, like bleach is, again, another one, mm -hmm. but we all use it in our homes to clean stuff. Um, it's not like we're drinking it or washing our hands in it right. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that's where chemical safety and knowledge and awareness comes into play. Yeah. Um, I have a question about the additives. Are they pretty that that two percent of additives that you have mm -hmm. to use? Are they pretty standard across the board or like does every operator, every does do they like have a secret recipe that they like don't like to share or is it like standard? This is what everyone uses. Yeah. So the industry kind of goes into waves of what is kind of popular at the moment. Gotcha. I think. And same thing with chemicals, you know, you can tell really good stories with different chemicals, mm -hmm. right? Like if you think about this, just being a bottle of water, it doesn't seem that exciting, you know, but if you say like, Hey, I got this bottle of water from uh, the Alpine, you know, mountains and it's, you know, Yetis used to drink it. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's the best water ever. It tastes the greatest. Like yeah. there's a story that you have to tell in order to sell this liquid. Right. Mm -hmm. And as far as chemical theory in hydraulic fracturing goes, like it has changed mm -hmm. ever since I kind of first started. Yeah. And so engineers used to have this idea that whenever you were creating fractures, you wanted this really like bimodal fracture wing is kind of what they called it to where you have like two giant fractures that are filled with propent sand. Mm -hmm. And that <laughs> is the, the best way to do that is with like ultra high viscosity. Um, so you want super thick, high viscous fluids that can generate these large fractures. Um, and so what they would use at those times is like a crosslink system is okay what the generic term was kind of called. And a crosslink system consists of multiple additives, including um, one like guar, guar or uh, cellulose gum, which are naturally derived uh, derivatives of like bean plants and okay. things like that. Hmm. Uh, guar is actually used a lot in food for hmm. viscosifying things like ice cream or um, yogurts or things like that. So you add this guar to the fluid to help increase the viscosity just by a little bit. And then the unique property about guar is that you can increase the pH of that fluid. So you need a pH adjuster. That's another chemical that gets added to it. Um, and once you get up to a pH of around like 10 or 11-ish or so, then the guar becomes available for crosslinking. And what it crosslinks with is um, a common known chemistry is like borate oh yeah yeah so borate is um 
a common cleaning additive mm-hmm. that's used uh, borax yeah uh, mm-hmm. just literally borax yeah. can be used and whenever you add the borax or the borate to the guar at that high ph it gets it cross links and basically what that means is it gets ultra thick um so without the cross linkers we're talking about in terms of centipoise, you know, maybe five, 10 centipoise, it's a unit of measurement for viscosity. And then whenever you add the crosslinkers, it gets up to thousands of centipoise. Gotcha. Super mm-hmm. thick. Um, you can hold it and mold it in your hands. It's so thick. Um, they actually used to do a lip test out on locations, kind of what they would call it. Um, so they get a sample of the chemical, they put it into a cup like this. And a good lip test is where you can kind of like tilt the bottle like that, but then the fluid will come back up into the bottle. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So it'll like kind of do that. And because it's got some elasticity to mm-hmm. it and that used to be kind of the ideal frack fluid of choice. But if you think about that on a frack location, it's difficult because you have to have um, hydration units, which are used to basically hydrate that guar yeah. material. Mm-hmm. You have to have a high pH adjuster, and then you have to have a crosslinker um, in order to get that. And then, depending on you know temperature conditions, you could add thermal stabilizers to it, oxygen scavengers, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Since I started, that was kind of like back in you know 2011. Crosslink systems were kind of all the rage, and then now this uh, chemical and operator industry has kind of focused more on slick water. And the difference between that is you're using a uh, less chemicals in order to try and do all the same things that a uh, viscosified crosslink system would do. And part of that transition had to do with how do we change the story of how a good fracture model looks like, right? So if, instead of having like two really large fractures, mm-hmm. the idea was, okay, what if we can use these chemicals to create a really complex fracture network to where it's like if you, uh, a bunch of just cracks that are yeah. um, really small, but all connected and we fill all that up with propent so that way we can maximize surface area mm-hmm. exposure and that turns out to be a little bit better way of producing more oil and gas mm-hmm. without um, increasing cost too much. And it also reduces operational simplicity because you can do those things with just one chemical, which is a friction reducer. Mm. Um, so a friction reducer, the primary chemistry used in that is called polyacrylamide. Okay. And basically what it is, it's a super long polymer chain which is designed to do a couple things so it can make it easier to pump fluid at higher rates and it also helps suspend the propens in the fluid so that way it can get put into the right spots in the formation so slick water is obviously a lot easier than a cross-link system because you don't have to worry about ph adjustment you don't have to worry about necessarily hydrating it you don't have to worry about adding another additive to it it's just kind of like one chemical that kind of does all those things and one stop shop one stop shop yeah <laughs> so and it's a lot cheaper um so i'm sure they love that they mm-hmm. love that yeah so i would say a majority of unconventional plug and perf frag jobs in the u.s are slick water applications now nice hmm. yeah so i know we talked about this before we started recording obviously kind of the hot topic across the industry is you know going more clean, more green, lower emissions, carbon, all that good stuff. Does that translate to the chemical side? Yeah. So um, again, polyacrylamide, for example, is a very safe chemistry. Mm -hmm. It's used in water treatments like uh, wastewater from the city. Mm -hmm. I've been through water treatment plants to where you treat the water with the chemical and uh, they can be used to flocculate out different um, solid material and then it's disposed of in a a creek or a river or Mm -hmm. something like that so it's safe Um, there's different types of polyacrylamide that can be used that uh, like for example uh, diapers the absorbent material that's in diapers is polyacrylamide (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so of course with everything 
we want to provide chemicals that are safe, but also effective for people yeah. to use. And so what are some people doing? Um, I see a lot of conversations talking about uh, green chemistry on the surfactant side. Um, so another additive that is you know part of that 2% are surfactants or microemulsions or nanoparticles. And the idea there is that, you know, if you have a, uh, let's just think about a dish, a dirty dish, um, a surfactant is just like Dawn dish soap, oh. right? Um, a surfactant is any chemical that lowers the surface tension of water, basically in this case. Um, it makes it easier to remove dirt and oil and things. And uh, the way I, think about surfactants like from a chemical perspective is you've got it's a really it's a long chain so just think about kind of like a long rod and then one side of it is water loving and the other side is like water hating mm -hmm. okay and so one side of it that loves water is going to kind of like have a higher affinity towards moving towards the water and then the other side that's water hating is going to go more towards the fats, the oils, the greases and the soils and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that way, whenever you have an excess of water coming out of your sink or whatever, that water flows and basically kind of pulls the dirt off of right. the dishes and stuff that you're using. Same thing with oil and gas is that if you use a surfactant, it can help remove more oil and gas because you're binding the surfactant kind of with the oil, but then producing it back with the water and stuff. So it's an effective chemistry to help produce more. Mm -hmm. um, and there's different types of surfactants that can have different environmental impacts depending on how they're disposed of. So there's trillions of different types of surfactants and different surfactant combinations out there. Some surfactants you can mix with another and it would actually make cause like synergies and make mm -hmm. them both perform better. Um, but again, some of them, if you were to use them on a wastewater um, or industrial application and it were to be disposed of into a lake or a stream or something mm -hmm. like that, it could have negative impacts like right. on the fish or the gotcha. wildlife or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so there are certain chemistries that aren't used um, because of the environmental effects that it could cause. And there's a lot of chemical companies out there that are trying to figure out, okay, how can we create uh, like bio-based surfactants or, uh, you know, biosurfactants to where they'll take like a, a yeast culture mm -hmm. and then use it to ferment and it'll create a surfactant that is, you know, hundred percent biodegradable after that. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you can, anytime that you're looking for, um, a chemical solution that is biodegradable, that's kind of like what the, the best case scenario right. is, but biodegra biodegradation usually means that the product is a little bit more expensive yeah. mm -hmm. and it may not be as effective. So that's part of the challenge of figuring out, okay, what do we know works conventionally? And then how do we replace it with something that is safer, greener, better for the environment? Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of what we've talked about today, at least what I'm taking away is, I think people probably don't realize that a lot of the chemicals that go into producing oil and gas are also in a lot of our like daily household mm -hmm. things exactly. yeah, that they're all crossing over. So it's in theory, we're not really using anything that's some crazy futuristic thing that if anyone like inhales that you're going to die. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. very, it seems very basic. Yeah. It is basic um, because you don't want to make it too complicated. Um, simplicity, the, the easier more efficient things are better. It's going to be for everybody. And especially on the chemical side, like uh, there's, there's just certain chemicals that you can't use at all. Right. Um, for, for example, on the frac side, BTEX is a common um, acronym that's used to say we don't want, or we need BTEX free chemicals, which is like benzene, toluene, ethyl benzene, and xylene. And those are all, you know, pretty nasty solvents mm -hmm. that come from hydrocarbons. 
Um, but you don't want them like in the water because there are potential like carcinogens and uh, can cause cancer and things like that. Yeah. Um, so safety first always is, is the name of the game with chemicals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Love it. I feel like that's a good mm-hmm. like wrap yeah. up. Safety yeah. first. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell a quick story. I was just looking up. I was because I know my dad. So my dad worked at Halliburton for 40 years. OK. He was actually a biochemical engineer, okay. I believe. Um, and years ago, like 2003 or something, he won some type of award at Halliburton where they created the technology of um fracture fluid or something along those oh, okay. lines i don't know to this day when i read it i'm like i don't know what that means that <laughs> means that means but as you're talking i'm like wait i think i could go back and read that now and actually make sense of like what he did so yeah. he has um early onset dementia so i'm not able to go mm. and talk to him and be like what did you do yeah yeah <laughs> um so now that i'm like interested in what he did he can't tell me so i'm always like looking to where i can make like make sense of it mm-hmm. make connections yeah. where with what he did and like try to understand it yeah but yeah that, that i think this whole conversation i'm like wow i now might understand know. what my dad did <laughs> yeah um you know i i spent most of my career focusing on the frac side and mm-hmm. there's there's a lot more um considerations that kind of go into it like um you know, I got to talk about what fluid does because um, we're a chemical company that also mm-hmm. provides chemicals kind of used for frac drilling and production. Um, after the what a, a big chemical that's used is hydrochloric acid. Yeah. Um, and so if you think about hydrochloric acid just in general, I think most people in the public will think like HCL is really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to touch it. And that's true. I mean, it is a it's a you know corrosive chemical that if you were to put your hand into it, it would really hurt. It would start burning you. Um, and if you were to try and inhale some of the vapors associated mm-hmm. with that, mm-hmm. uh, you would cause you know permanent lung damage and things. Oh, shit. Wow. So um, there are some on-site engineering controls that mm-hmm. need to be taken into consideration in order to properly manage the safe use of that chemical. Um, but then also it's important to realize that like hydrochloric acid is something that our body naturally like makes in our stomach, you know, it's, Oh, that makes sense to break down like everything that we eat. Yeah. Yeah, That's the acid that uh, breaks down, you know, everything that we eat. Um, so that that's important to understand, like, um, as far as like toxicity and danger, everything, it's all about, you know, what dosage and how you take it in moderation. I mean. If you drink enough water, right, like you could die of drinking too much water. Right, right. You know? <laughs> that, that just happened to yeah, someone. Yeah, it did. Really? To like a mom. Yeah. On vacation or yeah. something. Mom, she drank mom, like mom. four bottles of water and like 10, something crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, it, and, yeah, yeah, and then and like, she ended up passing away. Mm-hmm. Water toxicity. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of that. It's crazy. At, uh, first time I heard about it was at like a uh, frat, like hazing thing you know oh. like instead of making them drink you know a bunch of beer they're like we're just going to make you drink water because that's safe right and but uh, not. someone died yeah. yeah someone died from oh it oh my gosh that's sad that's yeah. actually terrifying yeah. so when you think about it yeah dihydrogen monoxide is a very dangerous chemical <laughs> because <laughs> at really high temperatures it can burn you right yeah. oh, and yeah. at uh, yeah. really low temperatures it can burn you right yeah. so and it's funny when you say it like in a chemical name how it just sounds more dangerous right yeah <laughs> exactly yeah um so like hydrochloric acid is uh called muriatic acid when you buy it on the shelf at like home depot or something huh. um you can buy it at the store and it's commonly used as like a concrete cleaner or concrete hmm. etch or something like mm-hmm. that because what hydrochloric acid is really good at is dissolving um, carbonate based materials. And so carbonate based materials are very common in the mineralogy that is ideal for extracting oil and gas. And so in some regions like up in North Dakota, um, the formations that they're targeting can be like 70, 80, 90% carbonate material, which means that, uh, it's almost completely soluble in acid. Uh, but then in some regions, you don't have any carbonate material. And so, like, they don't use acid there. You don't need it. Yeah. Uh, but what it's used for during a frac process 
is um, it's typically one of the first chemicals to be pumped after the plug has been set and uh, you know they've perforated, wireline kind of pulls out. They'll run hydrochloric acid to help dissolve some of that material. So mm -hmm. that way it's easier to pump more fluid into the formation. And so on the surface, again, like you have to have the hydrochloric acid in a closed container because otherwise the fumes can right. cause, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be around that on a frack location. You have to, like if there's ever a spill or mm -hmm. anything like that on a location, um, you have to evacuate the area and uh, wait for someone to clean it up and dispose like hazmat. of it. Hazmat. Yeah. It's yeah. a hazardous material for mm -hmm. sure. Um, so what my company did is we only focus on like modifying hydrochloric acid to make it actually a safer chemistry. Mm, cool. And so I should have brought some with me today, but this, our hydrochloric acid, we call it HCR, which is mm -hmm. hydrochloric replacement. You can put your hand into it and it won't burn you. Huh. Uh, so it's safer to use on your skin and um, it's non-regulated for transportation in the US. So you're removing a hazardous chemical from location, but then, um, the benefit of like, not just the chemistry side of it, uh, again, like with, with all chemicals, if it's green, great, but not everybody's willing to pay right. for that. Right. Yeah. Right. So it has to provide some other value to mm -hmm. them. And the value that, you know, we found is that you can run this product with wireline as it's going mm -hmm. down hole because it is so non-corrosive you know to things like your skin and metal yeah and then we've got a corrosion inhibitor package that gets added to that to make it safe on the wire line and just by changing the process in which the chemical is used you're able to save a significant amount of time during these I'm jobs sure. and oh by the way it's green it's safe and yeah it's yeah effective, so it's right? you know you so can put actually, that out there, yeah. saving them money by yeah. getting it done faster. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great um, kind of success story that I've seen of chemicals being used to kind of make things safer out on location. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously removing a hazardous material yeah. mm -hmm. is really nice. Um, so, yeah. So on the frac side, you've got, you know, acid, you've got viscosifiers, you've got biocides. Um, I feel like we should include a little like glossary. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's scale inhibitors, there's um, clay control, um, you know, corrosion inhibitors. I mean, like there's there's all the different types yeah. of chemicals that mm -hmm. go into it. And this is only up until fracking. That's just still a frack part. Yeah. Jeez, I feel wow. like we need a part two for like, you fracked, now <laughs> right. here comes part two of all the other chemicals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we we haven't got to Jeez. midstream yet, oh. right? And there's right. there's the midstream and then God. there's the downstream yeah. mm -hmm. chemicals that are used for that, and then uh, production. So mm -hmm. after after you simulate the well, after everything has uh, you know propent has been put where it needs to go, then you're ready to start extracting the oil and gas. Um, the first thing that comes out is kind of all that water that you just put yeah. down there. Um, and so the question is, how do we treat that water? What do we do with it? Can we recycle it? Can we reuse it? Um, uh, because water, depending on where you're at is a precious commodity that, um, needs to be, um, recycled and reused as many times as possible. So that way you're not consuming, um, you know, city resources right. or draining more water from lakes and, and there are and rivers. entire companies that just do mm -hmm. water. Is that... This might be a really stupid question. Is that separate from the water that's produced from the well? So there, there is two separate waters. Yeah. So you've got like your injection fluid, which is, you know, the water that you take from the surface in order to put the sand down hole. Uh, but then there's also water that has been trapped with that oil and gas mm -hmm. material down in the earth for millions of years. Mm -hmm. And some of that is going to start coming back up to the surface and that water that has been trapped underneath the ground for millions of years is ha has had a lot of time to react with the formation and dissolve as much salts and minerals and stuff mm -hmm. into solution 
that um, over millions of years, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So you can have, I guess just for like a frame of reference, you can have like drinking water. If you were to run an analysis on this and look at how much calcium, magnesium, potassium, chloride, you know, all that kind of stuff is in there. Um, and you were to add it all up, you would say that okay, w drinking water has maybe like a hundred, uh, PPM of total dissolved solids or something like that. Um, PPM stands for parts per million mm -hmm. and total dissolved solids is a unit of measurement, um, to identify like how much stuff is in water. Whenever a produced water comes back, again, depending on which formation you're in right. and what levels and depths you're at, it can come back at anywhere from like 20,000 TDS to like 200,000 TDS. And 200,000 TDS, which that basically means that the water is 20% dissolved solid material and then the rest of the 80% is actual water. Oh. And because um, if you think about parts per million, 200,000 mm -hmm. divided by a million, that's 20%. And remember, all that was has been trapped down there at a certain temperature and pressure for a long period of time. So it's a very like stable solution. And then once you start to produce that water back up to the surface, there are significant changes in pressure and temperature that cause the solubility of those salts to change. And, um, so that's whenever, as you're flowing a fluid back, if it starts to precipitate out solids, which is called scale, um, that's a problem. So how do you remove the scale mm -hmm. is one, um, how do you prevent the scale from happening is another chemical, you know, like these are all solutions that can be, uh, uh, worked with, with chemical like solutions. There are, there are problems that can be address with chemical solutions. Yeah. I feel like there's a chemical solution for everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a chemist, I've done a good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chemicals for the win. Yes. Chemicals for the yes. win. Should we move into rapid fire questions? Yes. Mm. So we wrap up each episode with three rapid fire questions. Okay. Misty, take it away. I will do the honors. Okay. <laughs> um, what is the biggest misconception in energy? Biggest misconception in energy. So since today was kind of like about uh, chemicals in energy, mm -hmm. I guess I want to say, speak uh, directly to the chemical side of it, is mm -hmm. that, yes, safety does need to be a big important factor of when you're using chemicals um, because some of them are dangerous, but with proper engineering controls and knowledge of what you're working with, mm -hmm chemicals are relatively safe. Um, yeah. You know, we're not, again, we're not trying to put anybody in a situation to where they would feel uncomfortable uh, being around a chemical to where they could potentially take that back home to their kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably the biggest misconception yeah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. um, about the chemical side in general. Like there are, there's a lot of activist groups out there that think that chemicals, you know, being transported through a residential neighborhood or something like that is bad. And uh, the types of chemicals that are transported in those trucks, like people are really concerned yeah. about that. So I think there is a valid concern for at least asking the question of like, hey, absolutely, let's, uh, I'd like to understand what's in it. Mm -hmm. And so the beautiful thing about uh, helping educate the public on what types of chemicals exist, there is a website called frack focus that mm. is um basically after every single frack job is completed all of the chemicals and the quantities and the amounts that are used during that job have to be disclosed to this publicly available gotcha. organization and so you can go in the process you know after the job's done it takes probably about like three months or so for a company to post those results mm -hmm. on there but you can look up any operator anywhere in the U.S. and go to that website and say, okay, I want to know what was used on this well at this location. Mm -hmm. And it'll pull up a report for you that'll tell you we use this much water, we use this much sand, we use this much biocide, this much surfactant or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that's in order to help educate the public on mm -hmm. 
the chemicals. That's awesome. That is. That's yeah. really yeah. cool. We're going to have to check that out. After mm-hmm. um, next question. What, um, I just lost it. Why should, why <laughs> should, should you we care? care? Oh, yeah. why should people care about energy? Why should people care about energy? So I think um, whenever, whenever you think about uh, why should we care, you know, some, and this is one of those questions to where I think like, okay, what would happen if you didn't care? Mm-hmm. And of course, if we didn't care um, where our energy came from, we'd be living in, you know, the wilderness <laughs> trying to yeah. – uh, you know, burn trees in order to keep us warm at night and things like that. So I think what that question makes me kind of think of alone, um, the TV show on Netflix, (laughs) where you've got those people that are in, I mean, they're, they're roughing it, you know, out in the wilderness, um, and they're survival experts. And Mm -hmm. even with them being survival experts, they're, they, you can see how incredibly difficult it is to survive without energy and, these people are being paid, you know, or, or they're, they're hoping that they can get paid, get paid. In yeah. order for doing that. But there are, um, you know, I listened to one of y'all's last podcasts and, uh, you know, 8 billion people in the world and 1 billion people don't have access to reliable energy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those people that don't have access to reliable energy, they're not on a reality TV where yeah. they have the opportunity to win half a million dollars, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's their lives. And um, reliable energy is, you know, of course, key to improve the quality of life. And I think that's uh, something a lot of people don't understand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We agree. Yeah. This what is a fun one. <laughs> yeah. What is your most embarrassing story? Oh, and your work work related. Yeah. Yeah. Work related. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a good uh, clarification. <laughs> yeah. No, let's uh let's keep it professional. So um early whenever I moved into Houston with this uh, chemical company, I was I was the guy who like whenever I was interviewing for a job, they would say, like, what do you want to do? And I'd say, like, I want your job. You know, like I'd be like, I want to be, yeah. I want to be like CEO. I want to be running this place, you know, mm-hmm. and little did I know like how ignorant that sounded <laughs> at the time, you know, like I just, I didn't know what that meant. Um, so I feel pretty embarrassed about like how many times I said that. <laughs> did someone eventually say something? Like, why did you Or did stop? they just like stare at you? No. Like, what did, what was the reaction? The, the reaction was just like, okay, cool. Like I, I like the gumption, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And I was, everyone was like super nice and kind about to your face to my Mm -hmm. face yeah but um (laughs) there was so what made me stop doing that is a great question because there was um you know i'd been working in the industry for six seven years ish or so and there were some interns that we were looking at hiring at our company and one of them uh i wasn't part of the it's funny, I wasn't part of like the interview, you know, for the intern or whatever, but uh, my boss actually called me and said, hey, I want you to come in and listen to this guy, see what you think. And him and I had very similar personalities, mm-hmm. I guess, as far as, you know, being go-getters. You and the wanna, intern? Me and the or intern, the, okay. yeah, sorry. Me and the intern had similar personalities to where he walked in and said, I want to be CEO, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you sound so stupid <laughs> saying that. And I, I have said that like, so many times. And, uh, so I guess, uh, that's, that's probably my most embarrassing story that I can. And that's like an ongoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, there you think about it. Ongoing, and it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just kept like doing it. But I think what makes it even more embarrassing is I didn't realize it was embarrassing. Yeah. You know, until, <laughs> yeah. until, until you heard someone else say it. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, ah, oh, sounds like such a thing. <laughs> Did the intern get hired? He did. Oh, yeah. That's how it worked. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it worked out. So I wonder um, if he's come to that realization yet. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Well, because, if he listens to this podcast, yeah. he will know. Yeah. yeah. I, he's going to be like, oh, shit. That was me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Yeah. That was yeah. a good one. Well, Kai, thank you so much for joining us. How thank was your you. first podcast experience? It was great. I feel good. like I 
talked a lot more and didn't even get to talk about all the things I thought I was going to talk about. But uh, <laughs> The time goes quick. It yeah. does. I feel like that happens more often than not. Even when we go into episodes thinking it's, you know, fairly simple and it'll be a short one, they always end up being super long and we're like, mm-hmm. we need Because there's two. so much yeah. detail. We'll mm-hmm. have to have you on for a part two. Yes. No, I, I would really appreciate that. I look forward to it. Yeah. And um, I appreciate what you guys are doing, trying to Thanks. increase energy IQ awareness, which I think is super valuable because I didn't have these types of resources mm-hmm. whenever I was kind of starting out. And I think that with the availability of podcasts and videos mm-hmm. and technology, absolutely, mm-hmm. um, chat GPT, yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. we didn't even get to talk about AI and chemicals, right? And like how that's being used. <gasps> There's that chemicals thing? and AI? AI thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wait, it's can scary. we get a chemical person on our AI panel at Views? We should. Oh, that sounds really interesting. That does. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, very interesting stuff there. Like uh, uh, Meta, Facebook just released a program to where they can basically uh, help develop new catalysts for different types of reactions in hmm. a matter of seconds using AI, whereas it would take a lab person months of testing right. in order to try and get those huh. results. And so it's pretty amazing what... Uh, Wow. AI is doing kind of just for everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like it gets, yeah. it's been brought up in like every podcast we've recorded. <laughs> it really has. Over the last few months. <laughs> yes. Any yeah. updates for our listeners? Fuse. <laughs> our Energy Tech Conference is coming up in Houston. It's October 30th and 31st. Check out our website, digitalwildcatters.com for more info. Like and subscribe as always. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we got. Where can people find you oh, if that's they right. want to learn more about chemicals? Yeah, sure. So Or fluid. Or all of the above. All of the above, <laughs> yeah. So obviously, I the only social media that I really use is LinkedIn. LinkedIn, cool. Yeah. So I have a presence on there. Feel free to right. you know shoot me a message. And then fluidenergygroup.com is our website of the company that I work with. Cool. Awesome. awesome. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.